I invite you to open the Word of God with me to the letter of Paul to the Galatians. Last week we took a close look at verses 1 through 5 of the first chapter. Well, we didn't spend a whole lot of time on verse 3, so we're going to do that now. The letter of Paul to the Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, through the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And this morning we focus on verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, especially the first half of that verse. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever become frustrated with a family member who did not believe you? Maybe it was a child, maybe a spouse, maybe even a parent. You said, trust me, but for whatever reason, they didn't. They didn't quite take your word for it. And that left you frustrated. They couldn't let go of their own perspective. Now imagine the letter to the Galatians in that kind of a context. The Galatians had heard the true gospel of God's grace and God's peace. That was the truth. But then they heard another message from some false teachers who told them that the gospel wasn't enough. They said, you can trust in Jesus if you want, but... That's not enough. You can become a Christian, but first you need to become a Jew. You need to keep all of the Jewish laws, or if you can't keep all of them, then at least keep the ones that are most obvious. For example, the feast days, circumcision, that kind of thing. Then you'll have the true gospel. Well, that's a real shift in perspective. And the Galatians actually listened to these false teachers And they began to doubt. They wondered, did Paul teach us the whole gospel now or not? And it's sad. But look at the divine greeting that Paul brings to them in God's name. He greets them with grace and with peace. He will give them a stern admonition, and he certainly gets to that by the time that you get to verse 6. But as he begins, he greets them with grace and peace. And that's what God does for us too this morning as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. As we examine our own lives, and as you've hopefully had the chance to think about your own life this past week, all sorts of things may come to mind. 
all kinds of sins and all kinds of weaknesses. And the Lord knows that. The Lord knows our hearts. But as he calls us together here this morning, he comes to us with grace and with peace as we see it in these elements. And so this morning we'll briefly contemplate that and uh, summarize that message that the Lord greets us at his table and that he greets us with his grace and he greets us with his peace. So if you look at this, these, this word pair, grace and peace, and you think about grace, one thing that comes to mind, one thing that stands up is that stands out is that the word grace reminds us of how deep our need is. You know, theology is a beautiful thing, and we, we often spend time here considering the finer points together. It's a beautiful thing to have that opportunity to, to contemplate, to think some of the thoughts of God after him in our own limited capacity. Theology can be very lofty, and it can reach to great heights, but we should never forget the roots Because the roots begin in the depths. The roots of theology for us begin with our sin. It begins with God's grace as he reveals himself to us and in doing so makes us aware of our own need. In fact, without God's grace, you would not know God at all. Grace is God's undeserved favor to sinners. If you don't know that you're a sinner, you'll never understand what God's grace is. So by its very nature, grace, in order for it to be true grace, it needs to begin with our sin. If God does not reveal your sin to you, he cannot reveal his grace to you either. You need one in order to understand the other. That's why we have those rumbling words of admonishment in the form. Those words are not meant to make us wallow in our sin They're meant to cause us pain, to lead us to repentance, to warn us, and to lead us to repentance so that we can come to know God and all of his grace. And that's why after the admonishment, the form gently reminds us that God will certainly receive in grace all who are thus minded and count them worthy to partake of the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, grace is not meant to make us complacent. It's meant to lead us to repentance. Our very repentance is an act of God's grace. As the form puts it again, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are heartily sorry for these shortcomings and desire to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God. God's grace confronts us with our sin so that we can see him as our Savior. And that leads us to self-denial and to repentance and to a turning away from sin. The amazing thing about God's grace is that it is free. The Greco-Roman culture in which the Galatians lived knew something about that word grace. There was a secular sense to the word as well. To them, grace meant that a superior was kind to an inferior. But it always came at a price. Often the superior and the inferior would be in what was called a patron-client relationship. So the patron was a superior And he was meant to show benevolence and kindness to the client who ranked lower than him. He would support his client. He would provide for some of his client's needs. And in return, he expected the client to be available for whatever the patron needed him for. He might help out the client if the client had to go to court. But then he would expect the client to be there to applaud him when he made a a public speech in the forum. And the patron himself was actually 
himself also a client of another man higher up. And so you had this whole food chain that ran all the way up to the top to the emperor himself. So grace in that sense was not truly free. God's divine grace is so much more than that. First, God shows grace to people who have nothing to offer him. As he said to Job, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. There's no merit whatsoever involved from our side. In fact, the opposite is true. We are sinners by nature. And our sins, even if we are God's children, our sins in and of themselves still offend him. Second, God does not wait for us to come to him. Instead, he comes to us. He takes the initiative. He extends reconciliation to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls us to the table. Think of all the benefits that we receive through God's grace. As the form puts it, by this Spirit who dwells in Christ as the head and in us as his members, we have true communion with him and share in all his riches, life eternal, righteousness, and glory. Life eternal, righteousness, and glory. That's what God promises when he greets us at his table. That's what grace looks like. Is that not a marvelous thing? The Lord greets us at his, at his table. He greets us with his grace. He also greets us with his peace. What is peace? Well, biblically speaking, peace is not the absence of war. It's much more than that. The idea of peace as a greeting is rooted in the Old Testament word shalom, which you may have heard explained before. And shalom is, is a sense of general well-being. It's more than just the absence of war, the absence of conflict. It denotes complete and total well-being. It's harmony with God and with man. It's life as it was meant to be lived. And already now we can experience this peace. Paul writes in, in this verse, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So already now we can experience this peace of God through his forgiveness. He's taken us out of this present age with all of its restlessness and its sin. And as you grow in your walk of faith as a Christian, as you are sanctified, you more and more begin to participate in this divine peace. It takes over your whole life. That's reflected in places such as the blessing at the end of the letter to the Hebrews where the writer says, Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So peace, living in harmony with God, also implies a growth in spiritual maturity and ability. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. We can participate in this peace, even if the world around us does not yet. Remember what we saw last week, we live in the overlap, the overlap of the ages We've already been delivered from this evil age in Christ. We might still live in the world that, that is a part of this age, but in Christ we have been delivered from it, and one day our deliverance will be complete. One day you will experience the age to come in all of its fullness. This present age will end. God will bring about a new heaven and a new earth, and all his people will share in it. How can you be sure? Because 
The grace and peace comes to us from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son together. The Father sent the Son into the world as a substitute. The Son went willingly and submitted himself to the judgment of God. He died so that he could show us grace without contradicting his justice. And so that means that it is complete, it is whole, it is guaranteed. God ends the greeting with peace to them, and he ends with peace to us as well. So this morning we are reminded of these things again. Grace and peace at the table. Grace and peace over our whole life. Grace and peace forever. Amen.